Hey everybody, welcome to episode four of Motion Picture Pals. I'm Cameron Call, with me is Rebecca Markley. How are you, Rebecca? I'm doing well, sniffle sniffle. Producer Travis Lean, how's it going, Travis? Going well, staying hidden. And Hoel Aleman, how are you doing, Hoel? Doing well and hopefully healthy. Great. So we're going to start this off with a virus check. Uh, I assume I have it, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just carrying it and coughing on old people. How's everyone else doing? So statistically, I assume that at least two of us of the four will get it, if not three. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. Well, and like Rebecca and I are in a an outbreaking, a currently outbreaking area, so, so pr- I mean, pretty likely. Yeah, we probably already have it. it. It's, you know, we're... We're carriers of the virus. Uh. <laughs> That's right. Oh boy. I was just thinking about because we had like like an all hands staff meeting today, and I was thinking about how like this is probably happening, if it not already has happened in like Seattle, will be happening throughout the next week in like everyone's workplace across the country. And I was just thinking about like how surreal the experience of a pandemic is. Mm-hmm. Kind of a fun little shared experience, though. We yeah, can all talk yeah. about it later, like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, oh. just like the another really positive experience crisis. for the world. <laughs> uh, I'm just so like I feel so fucking vindicated because I feel like I've been defending the Chinese government like amid you know accusations of being a tanky. It's because Rebecca is actually a member of the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> if you didn't know that, and yeah, like people have like accused me in real life and online of being a tanky because of because of your membership of the, the Chinese. <laughs> right, exactly. But because I've just been so like I guess defensive of gross you know accusatory statements that like oh this is all this meaning the epidemic before it was a a pandemic was all you know because china didn't do a good enough job and like china was like a horrible dictatorship and was going to destroy the world and all this like really like bullshit all racist and like red scare rhetoric nastiness right Mm -hmm. and then you know we have like our absolute disaster with like no CDC testing because fucking Trump doesn't want to hurt the economy. Yeah, so now we're just, we we do want to just call on President Xi, uh, please intervene on our behalf. Yes. Uh, my people cry out for freedom. What is an economy? Is it real? It's not no, real. I don't think it is. I, firmly, I you, used to You think can just yes. inject $1.5 trillion into it. Uh, you yeah, can. And then you like bump up stocks oh, for like less than an hour and then oh, it, it goes back to normal. But how are we going to pay for it? How are we going to pay for it? Yeah. I think I've been saying this since I was 12. Like, money isn't real. Yes. Money it's isn't not. Real. It's not. The, reason, it really the reason I know money isn't real is because if NASA said a meteor is coming at us and it's going to kill us in 30 days, money wouldn't exist anymore. Yeah. Absolutely. All of the countries would just work together to make a thing. Yeah. To they hopefully would. stop the meteor. Yep. And there wouldn't be money anymore. Well, and we were all of an of a interesting age in uh, 2007 and 2008. When the global financial crisis happened, when we were at that age, we're like, obviously, we don't understand really anything about macroeconomics. Not that I do now either, but especially not then. But we were old enough to be affected by it and to sort of understand it in a more real way than a young child would. And old enough to ask people, how did this happen and why is this happening? And if your experience was anything like mine, and I assume it was, nobody gave you a good answer. Like, nobody could ever really explain it. 
And the conclusion I came away with was we just all kind of collectively decided there was more money in the world than there actually was. And then we just like realized that that wasn't true and everyone filled their diapers and well, we all know what happened <laughs> after that. <laughs> and that right. seems to be happening again. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So it's it's very, very silly with the whole stock market crash happening now. Also, just like the whole like oil shenanigans with Saudi Arabia. What a big dick move, honestly. <laughs> what a big dick move. I wish I had that much <laughs> just power. Just like, fuck you guys. We're going to make it cheap and just like completely like cock up everyone's economy. Just way to go, MBS. <laughs> wow. This is, yeah, this is the authoritarian praise episode, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> oh. Anyways, Travis, you said before we officially began that coronavirus has delayed a couple of movies. Say some more oh, about yeah, that. The, um, the, the fifth and final Daniel Craig Bond film, uh, No Time to Die, has been moved to, I believe, November. Whoa, when Whoa. was it supposed to come out? Pretty Ooh. soon, right? It was supposed to come out April. Yeah, wow. so that's... And I guess delay. today they moved Mulan. They've just mm-hmm. they've just they, they just keep moving things because wow. you know everyone wants to get as much money as possible with their movie, and people Makes aren't sense. people are staying in because they should be staying in. Although people aren't shutting things down as fast enough as they should be. And this yeah. podcast we record on a Wednesday, and then it comes or is today Thursday? Yeah, yeah we Thursday. 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 Thursday it comes out Wednesday, and it comes out the next Wednesday, just as a peek behind the scenes in the long process, laid back editing process, but um. But yeah, so by the time people listen to this, I don't know, things could be a lot worse than they are right now. Yeah. If, if we sound, um, if we don't sound concerned enough, that's why. It's because we're last Thursday. Right. Mm-hmm. Please don't cancel us. Um, the to be future epidemic hasn't also, happened yet. But also, I feel like we're all nihilists over here, where we're like, oh, it's going to be a fucking disaster. Like, yeah, we should wash our hands. Yeah. But, I mean, this country know, has yeah. really never missed an opportunity to make me regret feeling compassionate so yeah this is just the world that i live in now yeah uh speaking of oh oh, speaking of being compassionate um i guess like two weeks ago i went to go to seattle to go visit my friend madeline and i got there like the day before they had their first coronavirus death and i was a little bit sniffly (laughs) and i had a little bit of a of a of a runny nose and some itchy eyes so i think it was more like allergy related and just like complications from just like really bad allergies yeah, it had been really warm in portland for like a week and so like all the plants bloomed and i like died um but i was like convinced what sorry did you drive or fly i drove okay i was yeah. just it's not a good time to fly it's no. not a good time to fly <laughs> and like breathe that. recycle there Um, But yeah, I drove to Seattle and saw Madeline and Madeline has Crohn's disease. And I was like convinced when I got home, like on Monday, that I had like given Madeline coronavirus and she was going to die. And I was like, this was a really selfish trip of me Um, because, you know, Madeline takes immunosuppressing drugs. So her like intestines don't kill her. Um, Yeah. So I guess I could have been more compassionate. But it sounded like it was going to end with like, but she's all right now. Yeah, I think she's okay. She's a preschool teacher, so they are currently not at school. Right. And I think she's very glad she just gets to sleep and be a lazy asshole all day and draw, which I'm 
pulling for that to happen here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we do get quarantined, you probably expect more episodes of this podcast because we'll all be really bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today was yeah, actually last. People are going to be listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Oh, They'll yeah. need them. They'll need that content. And, you know, yeah. who are we to deny the people content? Mm-hmm. But yeah. No, today uh, was actually like by the last day of official schooling before everything is now online. And just the environment on campus has been so strange. I've never seen so much hand sanitizer. Oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Wow. I just like, I'm, I'm glad I work from home. I'm also been nannying this week too. So I've just been like hanging out with like the four month old baby. So I'm like kind of going crazy. Um, but just like imagining like all like people congregating so much. Like I don't mm-hmm. ever see anybody cause I work from home, but just like all your coworkers, all your classmates, and like, so you, there's just been a lot of paranoia too. Like I had a friend who unfortunately has high blood pressure and, um, he found out because there was some nursing event that the students were having and they told him like, Oh, you should go to a, a doctor immediately. But he essentially got like so many dirty looks when he actually went to the, the hospital that I had to leave. I, I should have mentioned that he has Asian descent. Um, oh, of, yeah, course, of course, of course, because we're all fucking so racist. Just, like, didn't want him in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And like, there's the paranoia here because there's no confirmed cases at the time. There's just so much paranoia of somebody coughs and then the entire room will turn to look at them to oh to try to just People isolate just shouldn't them. Be in rooms together though. In also true. Also very very true. But I'm not like excusing mm-hmm. that. I'm just saying like we could avoid some of this. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of being in rooms, Rebecca and I, well, well, I guess we'll see if it still happens, but we just bought tickets to go see Mad Max Fury Road in, in the a theater. theater on Monday. I got an email today that was it? like, we're going to split the screening because it was it's in a pretty big auditorium. Like, we're going to split it up to comply with uh, the Oregon government's recommendations. Of no more than 250 people. But it's also very possible that by the time Monday comes around that might just not happen yeah but yeah they're showing mad max Fury road in theaters that's cool i'm really excited to see it again yeah in theaters yeah i saw it a couple times during the first run kicked ass so i'm excited to see it again yeah well should we talk about our movie we should so as promised we mentioned (laughs) that we would sometimes cover new releases And it's already happening, folks. It's today. This is the episode. So today we are going to be covering Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's a French movie directed by Céline Sciamma, starring a bunch of French actresses whose names I can't pronounce. Uh, We are covering it because Rebecca saw it and was blown away, and she has seen it no fewer than three times in theaters. Wow. Wow. Current recording. Yeah, I just kept getting more people to go see it with me. That's right. So, I've only seen one that's amazing. film three times in theaters. Really? What film was you it? You want to guess what it was? Foxcatcher? No, Star was, Wars Episode <laughs> 7. The Force yes. Awakens. <laughs> the Force Awakens. I actually knew that you, you mentioned that in the last Did time. I say that? Yeah. Oh, okay. oh. yeah, that's how I knew. I don't like that bit of trivia. Anyway. <laughs> we can all share embarrassing bits of trivia. I think I've also, definitely seen that game that many times. A Silent Voice. Uh, that'll be next week. Yes. As we said we would do. We, it, it has not been canceled. Yes. <laughs> we it's did, just been postponed. We did tweet about yeah. it. Mm. In so an you, abundance of caution, it has you been were. postponed. <laughs> 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 uh, 
All right. Well, Rebecca, since you've seen it the most, why don't you tell us a little bit about Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Um, so Portrait of a Lady on Fire is about this woman who is a painter. Her name is Marianne, and she is hired by a comtesse um, to paint a portrait of the daughter whose name is um, Eloise and to paint like a a painting to like solidify like a marriage or like a betrothal or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but the catch is that um, Eloise does not want to be married. And so she's like putting up a big stink about getting her portrait done. And so um, the so Marion has been hired to like be her companion and then sort of paint her from memory in the dead of night stealth painting yeah stealth (laughs) painting and so it's just sort of about their kind of like connection how they fall in love um how the the sort of secret painting doesn't go especially well um but then how their like lives end up going on and they kind of just sort of like mourn this relationship for the rest of their lives yeah, yeah. We should point out the uh, the movie takes place by and large over the course of about two weeks, which is when Marianne and Eloise sort of have this brief relationship, and then they both move on. And then there's like a, there's a coda at the end that takes place. Uh, we get the impression, you know, several years after this, after the the main body of the film. Yeah, and it's set um, in like. Brittany. Brittany in like the late 1700s, 18th century. Um, I guess what did everyone think of it? I obviously adored it. I saw it three times. I may actually go see it again this weekend with another person who really wants to see it. Um, but yeah, I fucking adored it. I had like a almost like spiritual experience like the first time I saw it. Like I walked out of the theater and I was like, holy fuck. I don't know what to do with myself. I was like such a mess crying so, so, so much. Um, my friend Jessica was with me and we were just like, holy shit, what did we just watch? Um, yeah. So I guess I love your initial reactions. Cam. I, I like oh, the movie anybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just went for it. I okay. like the movie a lot. Keep I didn't, going. I didn't have a spiritual experience, but I did like it a lot. I think I very rarely ever say that, like, I absolutely loved a film. So it's like, not a bad thing for me to say that I liked it a lot, but not to the point where I think I absolutely loved it. I did think it was very good. I, I For the most part, I, I liked the slow pace and I loved the attention to detail. Um, I think one thing that held me back was just a little bit of pacing issues and some like so, some like plot line focus that I, I'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, really solid film. Really liked it a good pick i was so genuinely surprised by what this was being that um i actually never heard of the film before uh rebecca messaged us about it and so it was like 10 p.m and i just kind of wrapped myself in a blanket and put it on my screen and um i just loved how i can't i don't know if i can put it in words but like I was talking to Travis um, one-on-one, and I said that I really loved the score in this movie, which I didn't realize there wasn't one <laughs> until, <laughs> yeah, until like I read through the notes today, and 
it felt immersive. Like I felt so present with just the the moment to moment of of this story, and I I could I didn't even notice when I had started and when it ended. Like it all just went by so quickly, and I was just so interested in what was going on because I I, I've never seen anything like this and so it was just such a awesome surprise that I got yeah I liked it too Um, I'd say I liked it and I didn't love it but the more I thought about it in the ensuing days the more I liked it whereas like now it's been uh, it was a what Sunday Mm -hmm. when we went and saw it and by now I've thought about it so much that I, I think I really really do like it but I was not quite prepared for just what the experience was going to be like um i suppose i also thought there were maybe if just some slight pacing issues in the beginning but there's a there's a scene in the middle which we'll talk about there's a scene around a bonfire and after that point i was very i was really gripped and I, i really really liked it but sort of in retrospect i now appreciate the slowness of the first half a little bit more but uh, yeah, overall, very good. Highly recommend that anyone listening who hasn't seen it, go out and see it if it's still playing where you are. Yeah, well, I'm glad we all really enjoyed it. I was a little worried that you wouldn't and I would feel <laughs> really embarrassed and just kind of like an idiot just for making you do for making you watch it um, sort of last minute. Um but I guess in a lot of like the discussion surrounding this film, there was like a lot of discourse around um, like the female gaze as opposed to like the male gaze, you know, and how like this, I think even the director called it sort of like a, a manifesto of the female gaze. And I feel like that is a little bit accurate, but is a little bit like didactic and kind of like loses some of, I, I felt like what was so magical it's definitely a little bit reductive. Yeah. I guess I wanted to hear what you guys thought about that. Um, well, I actually was thinking about the same thing where I think this is the first film that I saw that uh, portrayed just women in general in a way that wasn't your traditional like appealing to men. Yeah. And I guess even to like take that further, it didn't even feel like a response to mm-hmm. sort of like the male gaze, which I feel like a lot of like female superheroes are, where it's just like, yeah. I'm, you know, a superhero, but I'm also a woman and I have titties. Um, <laughs> but it, like, check it out. I got a sword in my dress. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like, whatever. I feel like this movie just sort of like didn't even like entertain that idea. It was like off on like its own planet. I sort of, or Cam described it as sort of like apatriarchal, where like mm-hmm. it didn't even like. Mm-hmm sort of have those kind of like hashtag like boss babe kind of like (laughs) vibes to it you know where it was like trying to be like a strong sort of like strong female you know character kind of bullshit it was just kind of like they were just living their lives and they're falling in love and um i just i thought that was like so 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 magical yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and what i meant by a patriarchal I guess Rebecca kind of captured it, but it didn't feel like a response. It didn't feel like, oh, movies are dominated by men, which they are, obviously. But it didn't feel like this was sort of a response to that. It didn't feel like this was subverting tropes exactly. Its existence does, in a way, 
but it didn't feel like that was the point of the film. It felt like this was just a film that a woman made about women. And it wasn't so much that like, look at us, we don't have hardly any men in this film. It was more just, they, it just doesn't need to be there. You, you're just allowed to write stories and shoot films about women and you don't need to acknowledge or talk about the fact that there aren't really men in it if they don't play like a central narrative role you can just have that not be the case so yeah the reason i know this is true is because i didn't realize until i looked at the document and you had written almost no men present in the movie and i hadn't even thought about that and then i had to think over the movie in my head and i guess there was a dude at the bonfire that, was that he was his own no maybe there, there was no? not a dude I don't think there was right. was up then. Yeah, well there, there was, was just... one guy at the end yeah yes. there was the guy at the well, end funny, the future husband, and that was it right yeah well because rebecca mentioned it i don't know why i thought there was a guy at the bonfire yeah no rebecca mentioned it the night after she saw it and then uh, we went and saw it together the next day that she and Jessica, when the this guy shows up and he's like speaks with his mannish voice, it's so jarring, and I I felt the exact same way, and I even knew it was coming. Oh, I, mean, okay. I was just so it didn't happen to me. But like okay. Jessica and I both like jumped, and we were just like, "Whoa, what the fuck? There's a man here now." Is this um, like when Palpatine spoke? Oh yeah. boy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, there's some guys who are on the boat, and they like row Marion in, um, and they sort of like help her carry her stuff. Not onto very the much, beach. though. But, like, you can up the cliff, which is kind of funny. Yeah, Who but, like, you guys? don't really see their faces. Their backs are turned, and, like, their faces are just kind of, like, not very, like, folk in focus. And um, only one of them talks, and he's, like, really far away. Yeah, he just, like, shouts some directions at her and yeah. walks away. Yeah, and even uh, at the end, when it shows Mariana and, like, the, the art gallery, all the men's faces aren't really paid attention to until there's the one that, that comes one up guy, to talk yeah. to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was also funny because um, we were sitting in, in watching the credits and listening to the, this cool Latin song, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Um, and I remember being sort of not rattled exactly, but being surprised at seeing how many men were on the production crew, which I mean, of course there would be. But it was so funny for me to imagine that like this film, this finished product is what it is and then there was just like a guy holding a camera it just seemed like it was such a such a strange realization to have that like the reality of making the film is so so different from what i end up experiencing in a theater or on my tv and like additionally um so i'm currently taking a like sex gender and culture uh class for the semester and just seeing the outdated information I get into that class and seeing just something that parallels that it is misinformation was really awesome to see because I am led to be taught by my professor that women do not have these like deep emotional bonds and that they're like, it's very stereotypical. Um, Your if professor is telling you what? This? Oh yeah, no, this is, this is what I get taught. Um, Whoa. What? Yeah. And okay. Hang on. Can we back up? <laughs> yeah. We all, we need to. Yeah. So who is this? I won't expose my professor, but uh, yeah, let's dox him. Yes. Oh boy. You can make up a name for him. So Mr. Burger, because his last name <laughs> sounds like Burger. <laughs> he, I, I think he's just given really outdated information because I actually don't think he believes it himself. 
You don't um, think he's just a huge sexist. Why would you teach something you don't believe yourself? WSU is a weird system. I'll, I'll tell you that. I, I understand. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he very much speaks in a... Uh, so this is what uh, the, the research has found. Uh, did, like, If anybody has anything that like goes against this, please say it so that we can know from actual firsthand experience. And I think the only thing that they've said in that class that I saw that actually lined up with this film was um, that, and also to play more into the a patriarchal, that men are attracted to physical aspects of women, but that women are attracted to emotional connection. Because as in the film, like you just saw like, they both had these really intimate moments with each other that, which I think really what was led to their, them like revealing their emotion, their feelings towards each other. But like, aside from that, this class hasn't taught me very many good things. <laughs> Can you yeah. give us some examples of things that you have been so-called taught, I guess? Yeah. Um, Tell me more about this 1940s ask. Oh no. Yes, right? <laughs> really oh, curious. Gosh. I'm trying to think of some of the, 1940s s things because like a lot of it is just um like animal study about like maternal instincts and these fuck off oh yeah animals in this class oh yeah they talk about these really awful experiments that they did on monkeys where they would isolate them from their mothers they get female monkeys isolate them from their mothers have them reproduce and then see how they treat their kids which is so fucked up oh, in wow. all the ways. I feel like I've heard of this, but it's mm-hmm. still... <sighs> and they're like, oh, Ugh. wow, there is no there is no maternal instinct. We are surprised. And it's like, huh, <laughs> who, who would have thought? <laughs> Biggest fucking eye roll, like continuously going on in mm-hmm. my head. That is really, really, really frustrating. I'm sorry you have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't show up to class much. Don't nobody tell my 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 family. <laughs> Your family, Mr. Burger. <laughs> they, yeah. they very much expect me to be showing up like every lecture, but like I just show up enough to pass the exams. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fair. If it's like that stupid of a class, I really hope when you do like your evaluation at the end of the semester, you're just like, "This is all garbage." It's like somebody I know please actual, update like, this. Women in real life. I know queer women in real life mm-hmm. who also like women, and this is not at all like. This has and never then, been like, true. It tried to give like scientific explanations for homosexuality and i don't even know enough about biology to try to back it up or not so it's very much we're given information well i i'm bisexual and i'm a scientist so i think it's that science makes you gay i'm not really sure (laughs) i think so that might be that's it i yeah that one i can get behind as a pan male i i think it's the science that increases the gay you know right yeah the more, the more science, science you, you do have. the more gay you are <laughs> okay i'd All like right, that sorry. to be a to be its own thought like have that be a positive stereotype like oh yeah if you're gay you're just really smart you're just yeah. really good at science <laughs> you're just really good at science <laughs> um, uh where were we at before we went we on this talking about the lack of men and stuff so we've mm-hmm. got yeah we can move on to our next little uh subhead in the notes here with that there's a uh, I guess we can kind of combine these two. There's like a lack of violence in this movie, which was something Rebecca told me a lot about 
which was almost surprising. And I, I would agree it was surprising. Can you explain what that means? I this guess is one of the first things Rebecca told me, and I, I, never, I didn't quite understand what I that meant. I feel like maybe like a lack of violence isn't exactly what I meant, but I just didn't feel like there were a lot of like bad consequences. Like there was no sort of like, oh, well, well what will happen if we get caught? Like discussions. Oh, yeah. Um, there weren't really any sort of external stakes. It was yeah. all very, very much ingrained in the feelings between the two women and the stakes there. But there wasn't any sort of like, like there, there wasn't anyone there to like prevent them from being together. There wasn't any like, I guess the one external stake would be like the husband. Yeah, that who she was sort of is... like a looming background figure, mm-hmm. but other than that, yeah, yeah, and then even with just like the there's there's an abortion that's actually like depicted, um, quite like graphically, but also in like a really respectful and like humanizing way. Um, so I guess some 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 narrative context um, after sort of like the the first portrait that Marianne does of Eloise is rejected. Um, the the Comtesse leaves to go back to the mainland and um, Marianne has to like do a new painting. This time Eloise is actually sitting to be painted. Anyway, um, their kind of like maid sort of enters their their sort of becomes like a like a a third friend Mm -hmm. with them and then it's sort of revealed that she is pregnant and that once the comtesse is going to leave like she's said she's going to to deal with this unwanted pregnancy and so there's like a couple of i guess there's like a whole day where it's spent just kind of like um where sophie is trying to exert herself into a miscarriage um, she's also like taking sort of like abortive herbs. Um, and then, you know, I guess a couple of days later, she actually goes and has a procedure done because the, um, the, I guess <laughs> her attempts didn't work. And, um, I fully expected Sophie to die because of that abortion and i was so 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 pleasantly surprised that she didn't and i feel like it's just kind of such like a such like a trope in in i guess our media where like oh it was a terrible terrible thing that happened and it was an unwanted pregnancy and like oh you know someone dies. i feel like i remember hearing um on another podcast that i really like called citations needed about how like some percent some like absurdly high percent of media depicted abortions end in death of the woman seeking the abortion or i guess the person um because you don't have to be a woman to get an abortion um however i believe that but I, I i can't think of any great examples off the top of my head i think i just mm-hmm. have better taste in film than these people i also think <laughs> yeah, it's probably right? like a lot of religious media that will try to depict no it's 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 pretty it's pretty um, secular yeah yeah really? citations wow. needed just really quickly it's a fantastic podcast that you should all listen to but uh it's it's uh media and pop culture criticism mm-hmm podcast so this is very much in like mainstream tv and movies oh, this is gosh. all rooted in but uh yeah it's also it's episode 48 shifting media representations of abortion in case anyone's interested yeah and i feel like just <clears throat> i don't know like being maybe like a woman <laughs> sort of immersed in visual media and media in general i i guess um 
I think that that is like an expectation. I feel like I just like know that to be a storyline that is, you know, that that is, you know, way over representative of like the real lives of like so many people that I know who've just had abortions and was like, yeah, it was fine. Nothing happened. I just moved on with my life. Not really sad about it. Um, and so I was just so relieved that like there wasn't, you know, it's like she didn't bleed out. She didn't die of a complication. Like she didn't get like sepsis, septis or something like that. And like the, the, I don't know, it wasn't like weird or anything. It was just so. It went so smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. She Mm -hmm. just went home, took a nap and she's pretty much okay. Mm hmm. So yeah, that's kind of like what I meant by like a lack of violence. Like there was no, I guess it wasn't like gory. I also kept like expecting someone to like fall down the stairs or some like tragedy to happen. This Um, is really weird. I don't know. I just felt like I kept like waiting for like the other shoe to drop. Okay. You're right. Like there was. This is an interesting way to watch the movie. Like there was no. Yeah, there was. It was. was, Everything was just sort of like contained mm. in the narrative. Um like wrapped up really nicely and there was no just sort of like i don't know cuz like, like i th- i think no like i think that's really cool to bring up because um it's even right there near the start of the film where Eloise gets first introduced um they t- um her mother tells Marianne to to make sure she doesn't go too close to the cliffs because somebody had jumped off of it before Eloise's sister yeah mhm and oh jeez i forgot about yeah. that yeah and so from the very start, it kind of lets us expect this violent event to happen, but everything just goes so smoothly. And I think the most violent thing that happens in the film is just um, how this, the way that the uh, bonfire scene ends, which is still very tame within itself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone just like their skirt catches on fire. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say either that or when Sophie's hanging from a rafter by her hands and falls. Yeah, yeah. That which is from a actually, rafter was really strange. Yeah, I actually wanted to mention how this sequence of uh, of the maid trying to induce a miscarriage and eventually getting the abortion, and not the abortion scene, but the scenes leading up to it were like, at least in my opinion, the funniest parts of the movie. <clears throat> Which yeah. I thought was, it was just a, a funny juxtaposition. I don't have anything to say about its significance or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's the scene where she's, uh, where Marianne's standing on one end of the beach and Eloise is standing on the other. And Sophie's running, basically just running sprints between them. And so she's running and then she gets to Eloise and she's running and she gets back to Marianne and Marianne sort of like gently pushes her back towards Eloise and I kind of chuckled at that, and then I realized what was going on. And I was like, oh, that's actually not very funny at all, but just the physicality of it was funny. There's a scene, I think the immediately following scene, mm-hmm. there's just uh, like a static shot of some tall grass, and then all three of them stand up at basically <laughs> the same time, which is just, you know, just a little funny. And then shortly after that, after they've made this uh, abortive tea, for Sophie, she uh, she's hanging from the rafters, and then she gets down, takes a sip, and then reaches up and grabs the rafters. And then Eloise and Marianne have this short conversation with Sophie's legs just like dangling in the background, <laughs> which was very funny. And then the scene ends with her grip falling, and she just kind of like thunks onto the ground, and then it cuts to the next scene, which was also funny. But I was just second guessing myself while I was giggling at all these scenes. 
I mean, I think that they were amusing. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. they were. But it was just interesting the way that the movie puts it in that context, which, again, I, I haven't thought about it. I haven't developed the idea enough about why that's important or significant, but definitely interesting. I was definitely oh, just like second guessing the subplot. Sorry, what? Like why that subplot is interesting. Oh, I meant just the juxtaposition of the humor and sort of oh, the sorry. Sc- yeah. scariness of an unwanted pregnancy. Can we talk about other scariness? Yeah, other scariness. The um, the people who like hum the THX theme at the bonfire and it just gets louder and louder. And also the like ghostly apparatus that just keeps appearing. <laughs> it's very eerie. It is really eerie. I got really heavy 2001 vibes from the yeah. bonfire scene, like the theme that plays when whenever the monolith is shown in 2001, yeah. which is also the theater we went to, the Hollywood Theater in Portland. They're famous for, they show 2001, A Space Odyssey in 70 millimeter, and it's, it's sort of like a big deal for all the film dorks in town. Uh, and so that's just a thing there. And I, I talked about it cause we, you know, covered it in my film class and Rebecca's like this fucking movie, it's everywhere. And so I can't like go anywhere without hearing about this movie. And then, cause it's in part of the promo material for the theater, you know, that rolls before the previews and stuff. Oh. And then like, I was like, I very much thought like, oh my God, like, is this the same song from 2001? <laughs> when, I mean, I think it's certainly an intentional choice on on behalf of uh, Celine Siama to have it in the movie but but yeah also the THX scene where the tone sort of like it's this like weird rising discordant thing but then it actually resolves into a nice yeah. actual chord and then there's some clapping and a cool song where they all chant fugere non possum which in Latin means we cannot escape but it's a really neat song. I, you should look it up. And I feel was like was that in the subtitles? I don't remember. So no, it was I looked it up. I, okay. I was curious after the movie, and I googled it. And I feel like the language, like "oh, we cannot ex- escape." I don't know, but that seems quite relevant to sort of like the the more like sadder kind of themes in the film. Um, I guess before we talk about the ghosts, I would love to talk about the myth of Orpheus, and I can't say we it. We did it before the episode. I you know, can do it. I can't. <laughs> no, I'm not okay. thinking Orpheus, about it too much. Right. Orpheus and Eurydice. Eurydice. Haha, right. yes. I did it. Um, because I think, at least like my theory is that well, I don't know. I whatever. Um, should we explain what the myth of Orpheus is? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Basically, Eurydice is a. It's a Greek myth. Eurydice is Orpheus's wife or lover. She dies, and Orpheus goes to the underworld and pleads with Hades to get her back. And he says, "Okay, you can have her back, but you can't. You cannot turn around. You can't look over your shoulder to see her until you are out of the underworld." And he turns and looks. And she gets sucked back down into into the underworld, and they are separated forever. Yes, I guess until Orpheus dies. But yeah, that's the long and short of it. Um, right. I feel like there are a lot of like parallels to the myth throughout, and the, outright references to like it, yeah, definitely. and outright references. But I, I felt like the ghost was just sort of like 
I guess, like, more, like, presence of the myth kind of, like, being presented where she's just, like, you know, she has to turn around to to see this, like, ghostly figure of Eloise. Um, right, which is significant because at one point Eloise is reading from this book of Greek myths, and she reads the myth of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice, and specifically, you know, gets to the part where he turns around and there's this big discussion amongst the characters with it, and somebody says... Uh, he turns around, you know, he can't help it. He's too in love. He needs to see her. And uh, another character says, no, he turns around because uh, he chooses to have his perfect memory of Eurydice. He doesn't want her back. He wants her memory. That's the important thing. And then this is, you know, paralleled throughout the film in many ways. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, Louise says um, her perspective of it was, Perhaps uh, Eurydice asked him to turn around. And I really yes. think that was what these apparitions alluded to was the way I saw it was Eurydice wasn't meant to come back and she knew it. So mm-hmm. she, I wanted at the very least Orpheus to have that last glimpse of her. And I think that's at least the way that I saw it. That was why there was this image of Eloise in her wedding dress haunting um, Marianne for the entirety of the film. Yeah, and I feel like there was also, they have kind of like a fight um, when they're finishing up the portrait right before the Comtesse comes back. And, um, you know, they're just sort of like struggling about like the ending of their of their relationship and like what that means, you know, and they both want it to continue. And I think um, Eloise asks Marion if she is asking her to kind of like fight the marriage and just like choose to not go forward with it. And then they end up both choosing that that's like not the right answer you know like the the relationship like kind of like needs to end or it would be better if it did end um as opposed to like them just kind of like continuing on um with their relationship and you know i feel like that is like immensely tragic and sad um you know and and it upsets both of them and they both get kind of like angry and um they need they, they reconcile afterwards but um but yeah like making that choice to like not be together i feel like is is a really important kind of like moment for their own like autonomy and their own kind of like um their free will do you guys want to take a break yeah that'd be great break wanted to start in like the more like saucy romance bits Ooh. okay oh the saucy bits the saucy right. bits because it is a romance slash drama film so let's talk about that fucking romance yeah god All there right. was so much tension in this film <gasps> and yes, when it finally was. pays off it's so rewarding <laughs> Oh my gosh, like all of like the fucking glances. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really funny. The last friend that I went to take to go see it, um, she, she had like no idea what this film was about. Like literally never see the trailer. I didn't tell her anything about it. I was like, you'll just love it. And she was like, okay, let's go see it. And um, 
there's like that one scene on the beach when they're uh, I think it's like the first walk that they go on right after Eloise does her like sprint towards the edge of the cliff and um Marianne is kind of like staring at her trying to like get the (laughs) the shape of her face and um Eloise catches her and they kind of like do this sort of like back and forth like catching each other staring at each other and um uh, my friend leaned over to me and she's like, oh, are they going to fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, that made me like so happy because I just felt like that just absolutely like set the tone for like the kind of um, sort of like care and tenderness was going to, to happen later on. Yeah. Um, That's a really cool shot also when that happens because you just have Marianne in the foreground and you don't really notice that Eloise is behind her. Until she turns her head and then you can see that Eloise is sort of like looking out over the ocean. And then I I believe Marianne like turns back to like write a note or sketch something in her notebook. And then she turns back towards Eloise and Eloise is now facing her and also us by facing the camera. And I, I, yeah, just a very, a very neat shot. A very, there's a, a lot of neat little instances of framing and camera work in this movie. And that, that was kind of the first one that I noticed anyways. It's a real anime-ass plot to just have this girl be assigned to paint another girl, and then she's just in the perfect situation. It is the perfect excuse for romantic tension and sexual tension, and the absence of parents where the mother, the countess, goes off yeah. <laughs> pretty early <laughs> into the film, and then these two girls just... And their the friend, yeah. the maid, the maid comes in and they go on little fun adventures with the maid. Mm-hmm. This whole thing I just think is just a live action. It was such a cute story. slice of yeah. life. I would love yeah. to see an anime of this movie, like a well animated one. That would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably watch it three times. Um, <laughs> in theaters. <laughs> in theaters, yeah. Um, I also really liked um they're like fucking scarves oh i just thought that was so so saucy every time it was windy they'd have to go out with these scarves covering their face yeah it was really cool i don't really know mm. why they were wearing scarves but... i was thinking about I that too i was like is that a that. thing <laughs> like no i assume that was some bit of just like you know 18th century quackery that was like oh it must needs be remarked that a, well, a delicate what do, lady what do we wear can't when have it's windy nothing we're just uncomfortable <laughs> no, we yeah. put on, like a hat right to cover like, our we ears. should wear scarves after watching this but they put on like like a mouth veil mm-hmm. yeah and it was like tied up in their hair in this like really specific way <laughs> Yeah, I, I have no idea. It was cool. It was definitely cool costuming for uh-huh. sure. These like sort of semi-transparent, you know, thin black scarves. They definitely look like veils of mm-hmm. sorts, like morning veils. But I, I assume there was actual historical precedent for these things. But Well, speaking of like historical bits, I did feel uh, like a just a sense of of timelessness. Yes, um, definitely. Like, like, I'll be honest, I don't know where this movie takes place. It seems to take place on, like, a coastline or, like, an island or something. They, yeah, they wrote I, her I to an island, up. right? I think it's an island. It's at least, like, yeah. a very rocky bit of coastline. I think it's an island. I, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, just in Brittany, which is northwestern France. Okay. Point, but, it's yeah, like, a, like the, the, yeah. the setting, like, the physical setting as well as the time period were both very, like... Uh, unclear to me which i think in a in other in another movie i might have not disliked that but like in this movie i think it sort of added to the charm 
and the mystique of all of the wacky things that are going on. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I commented, you know, the night after we saw it, that it, it's so weird. The, like the two scenes that happen in Paris at the very end of the movie and you have all of these like foppish men with their like stupid shiny coats and powdered yeah. wigs and they look fucking ridiculous whereas <laughs> oh yeah like even like think cuz like it's not like the women in this movie are like dressed in like this cool contemporary way they're wearing you know waistcoats and these got their big poofy skirts on and stuff but i just i don't know it's fine it does it doesn't really it doesn't stick out in the way that everyone's like stupid makeup in Paris does. Mm-hmm. And I like how they're wearing like the same exact outfit like every every day every day. And I yeah. think I just like the the color choices for their gowns. Like Marianne is wearing this sort of like is it like kind of like a rust yeah, color? Yeah, I was gonna say rust. Um, and then um, Eloise is wearing her like black her convent clothes. Her convent she clothes just come back from a convent. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know and then I think like the most interesting dresses are worn by like the the comtesse and like the maid. Like the maid has like her little kind of like flowery, yeah, um, her little flower printed thing. There's also this sort of gown that Eloise poses in. Oh yeah, and that's like a beautiful like green. green. Yeah, it looks green like so pretty with her eyes. Holy shit! <laughs> oh my gosh, so gorgeous. Um. Like everyone has like their color, and I I just thought that was a great sort of like costume choice. Oh, back to the scarves. What I wanted to say about the <laughs> scarves was when they go and kiss in like this like rocky outcropping on the beach. Um, for the first time, they both like each pull down their scarves to kiss, and I just thought that was like such like a cute sort of like consent moment where they're just kind of like apprehensive. You can like sort of like you you hear sort of like the stilling of the wind as you as you kind of like are underneath the the rock um and it's just kind of things you can hear in this movie yeah Yeah. you can hear so much stuff um and i don't know i just thought that was just so so perfect so romantic so tender um and then eloise sort of breaks it off and then hurries away um she gets a little nervous um but I really liked how the lack of like a score kind of like amplified the, I guess like the the nervous tension of the romance. Like I feel like it reminded me of like when I have like little butterflies for like a crush or something like that. I'm just like, I can't handle it. Sound Sounds are too loud. People setting down their <laughs> teacups are just really jarring. And like closing doors and like walking are just like, oh God. Um, but I you can like yeah. hear people breathing as if the microphone is like in their mouth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, just a quick aside, the chair I was sitting in in the theater was really squeaky. Oh, no. It's a terrible movie for that. It's like every time I'd shift, and I wasn't shifting like particularly often, 
but it's every time I would try to do it when someone was talking because the chair was so audible. <laughs> I didn't even hear that. That's good. Thank God. Because I was <laughs> that's all I could think about every time I moved. Uh, the first time I watched it, I had some candy. I was eating some Reese's Pieces <laughs> and I actually had to stop eating them because I would like pour them into my hand. Yeah. And oh, I was no. like, no, this that's is too loud. loud. I can't do this. I even stopped eating the popcorn because I was like, it's too crunchy. I don't want to distract anybody. Yeah. Um, I ate most of the popcorn in the previews, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> Jessica and I got there at like a normal time that we get to movies, um, but we saw it on a Saturday night. And so the theater was like almost full and we had to sit in the very front row <laughs> way off to the right side. So <laughs> much like to Cam and I, my experience watching um, Harry Potter. Just the framing was all weird, and people's heads looked <laughs> way wonky, and my neck was sore from like staring up diagonally. So I, after that, I was like, "No, I have to see it at least one more time, just yeah. to like not have that happen." And then we got really good seats, so it was fine. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I could, I was thinking about how like different of an experience it would have been had I been like in the front and off to the side and I, I don't think I would have enjoyed myself I actually got like I had like a moment of like motion sickness because I wow. was so close to the screen when she was like on the boat right before she like jumps into the water to go oh, yeah. retrieve her canvases that fell out <laughs> um and I was like oh god I hope this isn't what the whole movie is gonna be like because I'm gonna fucking die um yeah yeah also, cool shots, um, or I guess cool framing, not so much the shots in the very beginning when they're in this rowboat approaching the coastline, because uh, it's really steady. It keeps Marianne, you know, basically in the exact same place in the in the frame, but, you know, the waves are pretty big and the boat's kind of pitching all over the place. It's a very, like, good, I guess, recreation of what it feels like to be in a small boat in the ocean when it's rough. <laughs> In that it, it sucks a lot. And your canvases can fall out of the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you have to jump in with your like big dress. And I'm amazed I'm surprised she, made she didn't it. take off her like overdress and like mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. People wore maybe, too many clothes. Yeah. I, I, don't know. I, I thought about that those. too. I was like, are you just not sweaty all the time? <laughs> it was autumn though, so they yeah. were, it was chilly wouldn't have been. I guess yeah, the inside inside would have also been colder than we're used to. Yeah, because like the no central heating. No central heating. This movie felt to light their fires. physically cold, didn't it? What? Like, I, I felt physically cold watching the film. Like, on the inside, it was like, oh, it was warm and tender. But hmm. everything just felt really, like, cold, even though there was fire in the background. I don't know if that was I just me. I guess I didn't feel any particular way about that. But that is interesting that that's how it affected mm. you. That is. Because, like, uh, it might just be me being really interested in, like, big buildings that are architecturally bad ideas nowadays but um <laughs> just the thought of like that, that one fire and they're still far from it and it looks cold outside like they must be chilly like i don't know how they're how they're just sitting there you know just just sitting there and not freezing their asses off like holy shit it looks cold <laughs> it's probably why they wore so many clothes yeah. mm, I also just assume people back then were just a lot more comfortable with the idea of just being cold. 
So yeah. I'm oh, very, boy. I'm just yeah. a delicate boy and I need like, I have like a three degree range of temperatures where I'm comfortable or else I'll complain about it. Yeah, they had like a hardier like metabolism and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Oh, I think and it's then... my, it's definitely my metabolism's fine. It's just my like psychological state and my propensity oh, to be a diva. Your ability to self-regulate your temperature. Again, I don't think that's the problem. <laughs> I think I'm just Canada an asshole. ceases to, to function three degrees too <laughs> yeah. hot. Yeah, I think I'm just, I'm just a shithead about it. And I'm just going to like make it everyone else's problem if I'm vaguely inconvenienced. Uh-huh. Anyways, let's talk about the ending. What did everyone think when they get to Paris? I loved those scenes. Those were fantastic with the voiceover. Rebecca's getting all misty in here. (laughs) I am. Um, Yeah. The ending is one of my favorite parts. I I liked the, um, I liked the callback, the, the, um, the, the book, uh, page number that is open. Oh my God. 28. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was funny. actually funny because like they showed that shot and I was like, oh, it's the 28. And then it, sh- it looked at her and then it went back and cut closer to the 28. And I was like, oh, I guess that's just in case you missed it. Yeah, I thought mm-hmm. that, too. I was like, because I noticed it. But Rebecca had also told me she was like, uh, it was in between when she saw it the first time and then when we went to see it. And she said something about like, oh, and there's page 28 and that's important to the plot. And I remembered thinking when she told me that, like, how the fuck, like, what? Like, how? And how do you even show that in a way that would, like, telegraph to the audience that it's important? And so I kind of spent the whole movie. Because then there's the scene where she draws her self-portrait on page 28 of the book. And I was like, oh, great, 28. But then Rebecca said, like, it comes back. And I was like, but how does how does it come? How could it possibly come back? And then <laughs> I was, so I was looking and for said, it. That's choppy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was so yeah, and like when she caught fire, she's like, "That's the name of the movie." <laughs> she says, "What's the painting called?" Um, I definitely was one of the people that had to have that second take because I did not notice okay, it good. at all. Like, okay, I guess I was just extra observant. I don't. Yeah, know. I, I totally I... missed that part. I was more focused on like the kid. <laughs> yeah, I was more focused on the kid because I like the first time I watched it because I was just like was so kind of like moved by the fact that their like lives go on like they're just they're living like she has a daughter uh marion is like continuing to like her painting career and like you know showing at galleries yeah she has to submit under her dad's name but like you know is getting i guess what we assume to be pretty good recognition because she ends up teaching and the guy at the end is like complimenting her Mm -hmm. and i guess also worth mentioning there's men there's a big callback to the myth of orpheus and eurydice in that scene and it's also painted on the beach this the painting is set on the beach where so much of the romance takes place Mm -hmm. it's sort of like it's very similar to like the very first shots of the movie of marianne like trekking up the hill to get to the house. Yeah, and the the guy who's giving her the compliment says like, "Oh, it almost seems like they're saying goodbye." And yeah, you know, like, he's saying Orpheus is usually depicted before he turns around, but in this, it looks like they're saying goodbye. And you know, you have Eurydice floating away in this dress that is, as far as I can tell, the exact same as uh, Eloise's wedding dress. And you know, in the scene, very, I think, pretty much the scene right before that is when Marianne is leaving the the house for the last time and Eloise is back on the stairs and she tells her to turn around and look at her one last time and then crushing yeah it's it's really it's rough beautiful but rough yeah and then so you're already sort of feeling 
strongly because of that scene and then you see Marianne sort of like walk through this gallery and these people move and it reveals this portrait of Eloise and her daughter where she's holding that book open to page 28. I also realized that it brought the ghostly apparatus full circle. Mm-hmm. Are you you mean to say apparition, Travis? What's an apparatus? <laughs> an apparatus that's just is like, like a, a device. That's just like a, yeah, that's like a device. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to say apparition, but I keep, yeah. <laughs> is this the second time I've said apparatus? Yeah, I, w- I, I, was like, I wasn't going to be a pedant about it the first time. But... <laughs> yeah, definitely a ghost, not not a not a weird device. <laughs> a ghost is the ghostly is the important is yes. the operative word, anyways. So. Um, and then there is the final scene in the, the opera house. And, uh, I guess it bears mentioning too, the only other song in this movie is, uh, a Vivaldi violin concerto, which, uh, I wrote it down. Violin concerto number two in G minor. So if you can look it up, it's one that, you know, if you, if you hear it. It's also called Presto, I believe. Oh, great. I'm glad there's an actual name for it. (laughs) think it's bullshit frankly how a lot of classical music is named um anyways that's really the only other song we hear besides that latin chant and uh there's a scene between marianne and eloise it's pretty much the first where they have any real sort of connection besides those glances on the beach where uh, marianne plays part of the song on a harpsichord that's in the chateau it's also worth mentioning that Marion is like half naked too. Like she's only wearing her structured undergarments and like because she was just wearing the green dress. Oh, that's right. Um, that she was like trying to use as like a mirror with to like you know continue doing the portrait and then you know Eloise uh, knocks on the door and she like frantically has to like undress so she's <laughs> just sort of like you know wearing her underwear. Um, Which is funny because she's wearing like sleeves and a, a vest and yeah like she's like wearing her corset and like one of her like various like layers of dress but, but yeah. i just thought it was like Back funny in the day, that's but like underwear. oh she's like half naked you know like <laughs> despite wearing way more clothes than i was in the theater during yeah. that scene and then she's also like trying to like impress this girl with like this piece that she can't remember yeah she can't play it very well oh i don't know i just was so tickled it felt so fucking human so yeah. human and anyways, so in the final scene, they're in this opera house, um, and it's the last time that Marianne sees Eloise, and she's just across the way in one of the, the balcony seats, and the orchestra is playing this Vivaldi song, and there's sort of this slow zoom into Eloise's face, and she's sort of like, you can see her sort of unraveling uh, emotionally. She's sort of like sobbing quietly to herself and then the this shot lasts for i i want to say almost two minutes and it's just sort of her failing to hold back tears essentially and then it cuts to black and the (laughs) clapping and the latin chanting begin in the credits roll yeah so anyways i'd love to hear people's thoughts on those scenes i fucking love them I, I might be wrong about this, but I think Eloise begins to like truly break down when the song gets to the part that Marianne actually tried to play earlier, and you kind of see her like in in person, like realize like this is the song, this is all this flurry of emotion coming back, and I I, I was a mess just because uh, I'm a fan of orchestral music as is, and just seeing. I, I'm I'm led to assume this is the first time that she hears or like an orchestral piece as well. 
because in the in the yeah. film she she mentioned she's like oh, i've never heard anything other than the organ and mm-hmm. yeah marianne asks yeah. oh you've never heard an orchestra and she's like no what's it like and she's like i can't really relate it to you you have to experience it and then you know there's obviously the scene right at the end mm-hmm. yeah i i mean i felt like sort of like the it was implied that they were both going to go see it because they knew that it meant so much to their relationship and like that's why they were both there um but yeah i also was a huge mess like the first time i watched it the people sitting to the right of me ended up giving me all of their extra napkins because i was just like i was like low not low-key i was like actually sobbing like me and jessica were not okay like we were just like oh no no um it was it i was a wreck i was a huge wreck um yeah i don't know i and i just like she's like the, the slow zoom like across the theater and like you're just like in this like close up of her face and you just like watch her cry for like two minutes and then it ends. It was a big gut punch. I remember having like a 180 on my attitude towards the use of music because it started off with like I just I typically think it's a little bit lazy when instead of original music like like a pop song or something is used in a movie or even a classical <laughs> song. But then by the end, I had changed my mind because like that is what happens in real life. Like you associate songs and such with with certain people or memories or whatever and those can trigger a lot of emotions. And I guess this mm-hmm. would be like the um the like seventeenth century equivalent to like having one of those songs on the radio do that <laughs> right. to you today. Mm-hmm. Right. I also thought it was kind of interesting because sort of like um, Eloise has been like denied music and like the like the times that we get to experience music in the film or was like when she was kind of like introduced to it because of you know playing on like the harpsichord with Marion and then at the very end when they're at the, at the, at the concert or the orchestra and um, you know listening to the same piece like I just felt like that was a very like a really good farewell to sort of like who like what their relationship was to them and like how again like their lives just go on yeah oh no yeah fucked me up i like that aspect of it too as far as sort of romance as a genre goes and that you know it goes without saying that movies are not typically accurate portrayals of any kind of human relationship at least as it really sort of feels and occurs in the world, whereas this felt a lot more realistic. I mean, perhaps the situation was a bit fanciful, but sort of its ramifications and the fact that, yeah, you know, you just kind of move on. You, like, move out, you get a new job, you meet new people, and then you're reminded maybe of this, like, really important relationship you had at one point in your life but it's not like the only thing you think about you go do other shit you know you you go live your life and then every so often it'll you know it'll come back to you which i thought was nice i like to see those sort of realistic portrayals of things not that realism in movies is something i think is all that important but it is it's interesting to see it done well like it is in this movie there's a line here that says humor question mark I think we talked about that a little bit with yeah. the cam and like the whole like abortion, the various abortion attempted abortions. 
where like oh, okay. Sophie gets yeah. like tossed back between the two, <laughs> yeah, and like she falls off of the rafters. I don't oh know. god, yeah. I like laughed really hard when they all stood up the first time. Like I let out like a real good chuckle, um, because I just thought that was like it was so unexpected. Yep, because they were looking of... for like herbs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Love a love a little subtle physical comedy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Love to run back and forth on the beach. Yeah, yes. I love to get pushed back and forth by my <laughs> by my employers. Oh, I did want to talk about the actual abortion. Oh, because oh. we didn't do that. Yeah, they with do. With like the the oh. child, the baby on no, the bed. That's right. Yeah, the baby touching her face. Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah. So Sophie and Eloise and Marion they go visit this. Like, I guess Still a midwife. Yeah, I, I would assume some, some older woman, some older woman who has a lot of children herself and they all live in like one bedroom. I think it's like in a it's one of those kind of like dugout kind of homes. It looks like it's underground. Good old um, She's a wizard. Yeah, she's a wizard. And, um, you know, performs the abortion on Sophie. You just sort of see Sophie's face as she's like, you know, like crying in pain and gasping makes my like skin crawl to just like think about that and like not having any kind of like pain medication or like i don't know just gross like a child on the bed next to you yeah it's like a cat it's like grabbing yeah and then there's like a child like a baby yeah that was sitting on the bed and just sort of like rolls over and starts like touching her face while this is happening and I just thought it was like a like a really tender and like heartfelt moment as like Sophie is, you know, getting a fetus removed from her body. And um, there's also this like, I don't know, baby interacting with her. I guess what did you think of that? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think if you were having a procedure that was that painful that you would prefer to have a baby on the bed next to you or not? Oh, absolutely not. Mm -mm. I don't think so. (laughs) I think it would be horrible. And I'd be like, get this fucking baby away from me. It's like fucking triggering. (laughs) Yeah. I think it'd be fine. I think you could like look at it and be like, I can just distract myself with this baby. (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Having like gotten like a IUD inserted, you can't imagine the experience. I would have cannot by a baby. Yeah, I cannot <laughs> imagine that like at all. Oh, so God. no, I'm I'm gonna say that. It, yeah, I'll I'll ask okay. next time I go to the doctor. Yeah, be like you got yeah guys got any babies? <laughs> Can I just yeah. look at a baby? I feel like I'd be seen as insane if I asked for a child. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's worth a shot, though. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so I saw the worst thing movie. they can say is no. And they had a baby there that seemed to make things a lot better, so can I have a baby? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if you were in, like, 17th century France on an island. Yeah, I mean, maybe the doctor that you were going to go visit just had a baby. Just had one lying, just had one lying around, around on yeah. the island, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. um, I, well, I guess... I did mention earlier that that um, uh, pay, pacing issues. I think you said the same thing, Cam. And I, I, while I did like the subplot with the maid, I did think it sort of derailed the main story for a bit, and not in a way that like ruined the movie for me or anything. I just found myself questioning it the longer it went on. Um, I think it ties in in an all right way, where they sort of get to bond while taking care of her, 
but there are points in which the the maid's experience because i don't know her name it seems to be the central focus like it seems to shift over to her point of view which was really the only part of that that i kind of didn't like and found a, a, a little distracting i was wondering if anyone had any thoughts on why it did that I thought it was kind of like a way to sort of like bring equity to their relationship and to kind of like show them on equal footing yeah. as they do sort of exist in this kind of like timeless space where like, you know, the Comtesse is gone and it's just the three of them to like kind of like live in this sort of like idyllic space where they, you know, can sort of wake up in the same bed together, like do drugs and have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I just perfect felt, weekend. Yeah, perfect weekend getaway. Um, yeah, so I I thought that I guess like that was kind of like what I thought that sort of what they were trying to do. I guess I don't know. Okay, yeah, that makes I think sense so too. Me. I think it. She would have just felt like more of a a servant because I mean she literally is you know in the employee at least of Eloise's mother if not you know Eloise herself. Mm-hmm. So I think. So uh, in some ways, it it gives yeah a, some measure of equality to her, who would otherwise just be in this you know direct employee employer relationship with at least one of the main characters. But also, I think the movie it could have, I could see it feeling like a little too much had we only ever been basically in Marianne's point of view the whole time. I think it, it just some interesting contrasts. I'm not, I wouldn't say I know enough about sort of narrative structure of films to say one way or the other but that's just something that sort of occurred to me that it's it's nice to take a step back for just a second and i feel like there is a little bit of like part the kimono kind of relationship between marion and sophie in like the beginning mm-hmm. where you know so or marion is sort of like tell me what happened and like sort of like demanding to like get the the inside scoop on like what's going on in this household as she, you know she is an intruder she's like a guest here so i think that kind of like puts more of like an inroad to kind of experiencing sophie's narrative in a way that makes it a little bit or at least i thought it made more sense than if it was just like eloise and sophie because like that still has more of like the employer employee kind of power dynamic I know you said you had some pacing issues. Oh, that was just at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Is I just thought the beginning for me, it, it was beginning to lose me a little bit up until, um, I guess, really when Marianne like destroys the first portrait is sort of the turning point. But then obviously the bonfire scene is like the main turning point of the movie in a, in a more general sense. But um, I think it was just the lack of soundtrack was starting to kind of get to me and like the sort of claustrophobia of the house and how there were only just the two settings. I I couldn't tell you exactly what it is. And like I said, now when I think about it, it doesn't really bother me so much. I can kind of appreciate what it's doing. But I just remember at the time it was sort of, uh, I don't know, just not exactly what I was expecting, but. Yeah, I guess, like similar you said, to that, there was Travis, like a, yeah. it, 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 well, there was a structural point that surprised me, and ultimately in a good way. But at first, I was disappointed that um, the the like tension of the stealth portraiture uh, ended like halfway through the film because she like finished <laughs> right, right. the painting, and I was like, I "What? Like I wanted this to be the whole movie." But then, like 
you know, it, the movie continued and I saw where it was going and then mm-hmm. I backtracked on my anger. I was fine with it. Right. <laughs> because like my pea-sized brain thought that like the plot would just be the stealth painting, the stealth portraiture. Like, oh, is she going to do it? She's going to do a good job. Yeah, definitely. I, I found a lot of tension in just her bedroom and the way that she has that curtain there. Oh, yeah. And that it, was like the threat of, it was like of, a, of Eloise finding it. Yeah, and it was just sort of like a reception room, right? Because mm-hmm. Sophie says in the very beginning that it's never been used in sort of this interesting place. Like, why why, why don't you just sleep in one of the bedrooms? Because it's a huge house, right? You get the impression there's plenty of space for her to sleep if she wishes. But Yeah, mm-hmm. and all of the sort of like... Um, little sketches that she does she's like yeah. there's a lot of risk going on there there's very mm-hmm. high stakes and i did like i did i from the uh, wikipedia page i believe i learned that um they had this painter who would do all of the paintings for the movie oh i did and wonder the, about um, that yeah and for the like close-ups of the painting that would, that, that would just be her hands standing in and oh. just actually doing all of the painting oh. and i did like i did think it was like a really good and accurate representation of the artistic process that you don't often get to see mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that much of in, mm-hmm. in movies. I really liked how I feel like when you are working on a piece of artwork, there's like the stage where you're like, this is fucking ugly and yeah. it doesn't look like anything. And you just kind of have to like keep going, keep adding more structure and contrast and highlights and shadows again and again until it finally like takes place shape and mm-hmm. you really got to see that happening where yeah. like she's just like putting these like random ass like stripes of green and you're like how is this supposed to look like a dress looks like a fucking zebra um but it does but at the end it does look yeah. like a dress i really liked the line where uh, she where marianne and eloise are talking and uh i think marianne is letting eloise like put little details in if she wants to i think and she's then, just mixing the paint is she okay. yeah either way it doesn't really matter because at one point eloise asks when do we know when it's finished and marianne says at some point we'll stop which is i love that line so one, much <laughs> just a cool line in general about art but also you know a clear metaphor for their relationship and everything else but yeah that was probably my favorite my single favorite line of the movie i thought some of the dialogue and and i imagine this has more to do with my experience reading subtitles than the actual written dialogue of the movie but it was like some of it seemed maybe a little overwrought but i i again i figure it was all intentional and it didn't really bother me that much but there were some of those lines that just really got me and i wish i understood french more so i could have sort of experienced them as they were originally conceived i don't think we mentioned this but is the film currently only in French? Yes. Yeah, I don't think there's a dubbed version out. No. I, I don't think there needs to be. I think it would be bad. Yeah, I, I yeah, think I so agree. too. Much like Parasite, like I think mm. they would just be. Do people usually dub foreign films? I don't know anymore. Oh, I, I don't know. So. Spaghetti westerns oh, okay. exist. Oh wait, anymore? Yeah, I don't know. I remember like my dad used to have lots of martial arts films that he usually watched the dub, and I usually thought they were goofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm doing a. Uh, one a project for my film class and I, I'm watching old kung fu movies and for one of them I was able to find just the original version in Mandarin and then I have to watch this like stupid English dub for the other one and I really don't <laughs> like it yeah but I wouldn't expect a French film to be to have an English dub um, right. maybe one thing we can end on um, 
because I'm just remembering something, one of the main things we talked about at the beginning of the podcast and how this is a, a film about women and it's directed by a woman and it doesn't seem to like, I don't remember exactly what we said. It doesn't seem to, well, it doesn't have the, like the male gaze aspect or anything. Um, and I was thinking about another French romance film that I saw a long time ago. Um, people talk about it pretty often. It's called, uh, it's called Blue is the Warmest Color in English. Mm-hmm. And that is a very long film about a relationship between two women, and it is directed by a man. And you can tell it's directed by a man because there's a whole lot of like just uncensored sex and nudity just throughout the entire film in a way that doesn't feel like it really serves the story. Mm-hmm. And I like in the back of my mind, because I guess I don't watch a lot of French films, um, throughout this film, I was just sort of like that film was playing in the back of my mind. Um, and I was really, I guess, just blown away by like how different a film can be when you actually let a woman direct it. So maybe yes. do that more. Yes, I would agree. I loved how sort of like sensual and respectful all of the sort of like sexual elements are. Like there's scenes where they're just like sort of like lounging in bed and mm-hmm. you, it just feels so like intimate and like luxurious and like it feels like when you are kind of just like hanging out with your partner on like a lazy Sunday morning like in bed drinking your coffee and like I don't know that just was beautiful need more of it um I was I think I read I think it was like on NPR um they did like a review of it of the the film a portrait of a lady on fire and they were just like talking about how um in like american films like when there is sort of like post sex kind of like scenes where like you know the guy's pulling on his pants and like the woman awkwardly has like the sheet wrapped around her like waist and it doesn't look realistic or very good and you're like why is everyone getting dressed so quickly yeah why did like why did no one run to the bathroom to like piss out all of the cum yeah exactly <laughs> and <laughs> sorry what? no why indeed it's a yeah. thing. Really? like media really does not prepare you for the reality of sex nor does sex ed in school no right? it's like god this would have been nice had they just told you just like have a fucking towel around makes just, like, it so just be ready nicer. like have a have a towel you're not gonna like use to wash dishes later yeah <laughs> And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just really, really cool. And I want there to be more beautiful, accurate, interesting sort of sex to to watch. Mm -hmm. And in in a non-explicit way and just sort of a not necessarily realistic. I mean, this happened to be a little bit more realistic, but there are there are scenes that aren't realistic where like Eloise has like a mirror like over her crotch. So... Marianne can draw this self-portrait and like that's obviously not realistic that's ridiculous Mm -hmm. but it's like was that just there the whole time I couldn't figure that out no I Mm -hmm. think they set that up so she could okay there's like a like a scene change yeah yeah Yeah. I I assumed anyways there's a there's a cut that I figured (laughs) denoted some amount of time passing (laughs) and then there's like the armpit euphemism which oh yeah that was was also like i was kind of confused go into an armpit and you're like whoa you can't show that like (laughs) oh yeah oh god i (laughs) and then you realize what's happening Mm. yeah (laughs) yeah i was very scared Um, of having like a family member walk in through that scene (laughs) 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 yeah the risk of not of that you pose by not seeing it in theaters oh yeah yeah (laughs) 
I think all I really knew about the film before I watched it was just like a brief description. And so I was expecting like, I was expecting a, a film that was like a romance film about two women. And I just sort of like, I'm trained to expect like fan service moments and stuff. So mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering when like the first instance of nudity would occur and how it would be handled. And I believe it is when like, I don't remember character names, when she's like uh, lying in the bed and she just like has her whole pussy out. No, it's actually in the very beginning when she's drying out the canvases by the fire. Oh, she's that's just true. naked. She's oh, just yeah. like naked. It's very, yeah, smoking. very tasteful. Oh, I, smoking her pipe. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. there is also. I, compl- I don't yeah, know why scene. I like forgot about that. I think I was just like, I was fascinated with the other one. <laughs> well, I mean, the other one is a lot more like noticeable. You're just like, whoa, that's like never how this goes down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think despite this all the nudity. usually framed. I don't think there was like an actual like proper quote unquote sex scene. No, that's I do like appreciate. the closest it gets is the finger in the armpit, which mm-hmm. is funny, yeah. just like objectively. <laughs> uh huh. But but I feel like it. it I don't know. It, yeah. Well, it didn't need to. It didn't need to. It was so, really it. It was so relieving not like having one. Yeah. All right. We good then? I think so. Yeah. Did we have any cool. final thoughts? For a really long time. We did. Well, there's a lot to talk about. It was a really good movie. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. If you want more of our content, you can find it at hitpointpals.com. You can find me on Twitter. At, I am at Call Cameron. Rebecca, where can people find you on social media? You can find um, me being a, a tanky on Twitter at r underscore Markley. Yeah. And then you can also find my zine press at zines and things on both Instagram and on Twitter. Right. Travis, where can people find you? You can find art and stuff that I'm working on at Adobo Time, Twitter, uh, also Instagram. Um, and before I forget, we are, this was, this was kind of like a bonus episode. So we, uh, there will be an extra episode. We'll get back to yes. a silent voice next week instead of in two weeks. And Hoel, where can people find you online? Awesome. You can find me on Twitter at your Denny's model. And due to a new quarantine that, will be keeping me in my room very often uh you can see are you quarantined i'm not quarantined i'm just never gonna leave this room just self-quarantined yeah despite not being ill uh you can find drawings that should hopefully go up soon and etc at alamon jesus 7 on instagram perhaps a portrait of a lady on fire perhaps perhaps i'd love to see it yeah time to all right hopefully not somebody too on fire Just a little, just the, just the hem of your small, dress. A little fire just never hurt fire. anyone. Yeah, yeah, you can have All a small right. fire as a treat. <laughs> well, good old dead meme references. <laughs> uh, so as Travis said, we will be with you in two weeks discussing a silent voice. Next week, right? Isn't that... Oh, are we doing yeah, it next week? Next week. Yeah, oh, I think well, so. fuck me. Okay. Heck yeah. Well, just cut that part out. As Travis said... <laughs> We will be joining you next week for our discussion of A Silent Voice. Please go ahead and like our... Fuck, I keep saying like. Well, like the podcast. And, yeah, you can you like know, the podcast. Just like <laughs> in your heart. Yeah. yeah. But also, you know, project that love in the most real way possible, which is online through reviews on iTunes. And leave us a review. We'll read it on the air if it's good, if it's thoughtful. And you can DM any of us on social media and we'll add you to our Discord if you feel so inclined. That'll do it for this episode of Motion Picture Pals. Bye!
We could talk about how that car caught on fire in front oh, of my we wife. Wait, what happened? Car caught on fire. Can you please tell oh, us? Well, so I don't know what happened. So I was just like in. <laughs> well, I so, didn't do it. Yeah, it wasn't I, I me. Was, I was. I was far away. So you know, I work in a lab, right? And I work in this like windowless little office with you know a, a few other cubicles around. So there are no windows, and I'm not very close to the front of the lab, which is what is uh, up against the street. And so we're all sort of in there doing our thing, you know, looking at data or whatever it is everyone else does. And uh, one of the women from the front office who's sort of, she does like sample receiving and customer facing stuff. She comes in and she's like, hey, is, you know, is this person in here? And we were like, oh, no, she's um, she hasn't been in here for a while. She might be in the main lab. Like, what? what's going on? And she's like, oh, her car's on fire. <laughs> and all of us were like, what the fuck are you talking? Like, what do you mean the car's on fire? Like, you know, it's a regular ass car that she just like parks on the street. Like, did somebody set it on fire? But and I was like, well, OK, shit. So I like I stood up and like ran out to the lab to go find her because like I'm assuming that there's just like flames pouring out of her car. And, uh, you know, a different coworker had found her, you know, just the seconds before I did. And we were just like, what the fuck? Like, we got to go check this out. And so we like run outside and there's a bunch of smoke all around her car. But there's just a truck parked in front of it that is, a, I mean, if, if it wasn't, I didn't see flames, but, you know, there was a, enough smoke to imply that it was indeed on fire. But uh, yeah, my coworker was able to get in her car and, you know, drive it out of the way right as the fire truck was showing up and they put it out. But uh, yeah, there's some pretty wacky stuff that happened to me yesterday at work. So was the car fire. on fire or was it just a truck? I, what do you, it was a, was like, the was car your coworker's fire or car? was the car a truck? Those are the only two outcomes. Like, oh, <laughs> um, like was 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 your coworker's car on fire or was it just the truck? No, that was... no, it was just it was parked right next to a truck that was on fire, and just I think the way the wind was blowing made it look like the smoke was coming from my coworker's mm. car. Oh, okay. I also I'm happy for your coworker. The truck is still out there. I'll try to remember to take a picture of it tomorrow. And I'll like s- the burnt truck. It's not that burnt. It's just like I think the engine compartment. You're gonna take a portrait of a truck on fire. It's nicely <laughs> toasted. Yeah, they're, they're like the I think something in the engine area, like under the hood, had caught fire because the hood was up by the time the, like I saw the firefighters dealing with it, and I don't oh. think they had opened it themselves. I think it maybe someone had been working on it and then. They were so such a shitty mechanic that the car oh, caught God. on fire. <laughs> so I thought something that only happened in cartoons. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's there, and you can see like the the hood is all fucked up from the flames. But it's not like you know, it's not just like the skeleton of like a burnt car. When you have a zero in mechanics, <laughs> and you have to roll for a twenty. Right? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. we're describing this as if it's some attraction. Like, oh, yes, you can see it. There were like all of us were standing in front of the lab like, oh, we don't see that every day. Come see the scenic bridge trucking. I mean, it beats doing my job. That's for sure. I'd rather look at cars being on fire than do, you know, all the boring stuff I do throughout the course of a day. I'm envisioning this in the style of, of Fargo where like some people are just sort of standing and watching a truck on fire and just sort of having casual conversations with one another. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was basically that without the casual conversation, it was more just like, how did this happen? Like, why is is this truck on fire? And, you know, the fire department was there by the time we we had all gathered. So it was, you know, that moment had passed and they were like clearly dealing with it. 
but uh yeah but basically like fargo it's just it was nice out so we do you hear my roommate sneeze just then yes yeah. <laughs> bless them um yeah but we were all just standing out there like whoa check that out 